Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode 20. Can you believe we've done 20 of these already? <sighs> of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, with over 100 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. And before we get started, we want to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council, its affiliates unions, our guest unions, our employers, not even their rainbows. Nobody but themselves. Oh, it is Happy such Pride! A Pacific Northwest June. Because we've got lots of clouds and rain and rainbows, so it's perfect. But, Shannon, can you believe it's June already? No. And June is one of my favorite months. Number one, it's because summer has started. Well, kind of, in the Pacific Northwest. We actually say that rain doesn't stop until July 5th. But it's at least started. We have sun. Also in June, Pride Month. Oh, I love my whiskey straight, but my people, I don't care. Happy Pride. Also, don't forget, we also have Juneteenth in June as well. Lots and lots of things going on that some of our listeners may not know about. I'm really glad you mentioned Juneteenth because that is a special holiday that a lot of people didn't even really know about until the past couple of years. And that's largely because of all the attention that has been brought on the treatment of people of color here in the U.S. You know, we're just past the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, and that brought on a lot of demonstrations and a lot of soul-searching about how we treat non-white people here in the U.S. Well, we have not done enough, that's for sure. But I will tell you one thing that I'm so happy about, <sighs> labor is committed. We are committed to taking on the issue. We're committed on a national level. We're committed on a state level. And we are surely committed here at the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We have race and gender justice workshops that we're starting. The State Labor Council actually has a whole department now on race and gender justice. And on a national level, one of our main talking points is social justice, racial justice. It is being talked about all up and down the spectrum on how labor can help finally bring this country together. To help us talk about that, we've invited Casey Pereira, Director of Racial and Gender Justice at the Washington State Labor Council. Thanks so much for joining us, Casey. Thank you, Harold, and thank you, Shannon, for the invitation. So happy to be here. And Casey is at home like all of us or most of us still, and she has a little one at home. So if you do hear that little one in the background, eh, it's all good. We just have another guest. Casey, what exactly does the Director of Racial and Gender Justice do? That is definitely one of the most common questions. Um, since this is a brand new position that has been created at our State Labor Council, I believe we are the first state federation in the U.S., within the AFL-CIO that has a position similar to this. So 
really the work began in 2015 with a resolution that was passed at our state convention with the support of affiliates from all across the state that was on race and the labor movement. That resolution really came about because that year we witnessed uh, the murder of Michael Brown. And we had many conversations locally here in Washington state But also, most pointedly, we saw the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, not just here in Washington state, but around the world. And in many ways, I think what we've experienced within the last year through the global pandemic and the continued murder of Black people, um, we've learned that labor must do more. So a whole committee of leaders consulted with uh, Bill Fletcher Jr., and Lurk, and many others who created our very first race and labor workshop. Uh, These workshops were hosted all over the state. We set some pretty ambitious goals to make sure that all of the unions in Washington state participate, as well as um, build up trainer certification programs so that these conversations may continue throughout our respective unions and workplaces. This is not something that a lot of people think of when they think of organized labor. When they think of organized labor, they think of wages, working conditions, contracts. Why is it so important for labor to be involved in this discussion? Well, through the work that we did to learn about our collective history of labor, not just here in Washington, but across the U.S., we saw a pattern. And that pattern was the strategy of divide and conquer that was used against working people time and time again. Since, you know, first contact in 1492, the racialization of working people, so the color of our skin or the gender or who we choose to love, but also what we do for work has been used to keep people divided. And what we're really um, building here in Washington state is a collective understanding of how that divide and conquer strategy of racism must end and that we need to focus on strategies of equity that center people most impacted, but ultimately benefit us all. Yeah, we see this time and time again, where people in power tried to divide us. They try to divide us not only by race, they also divide us by the types of jobs we do. Um, Thinking that some jobs are less important or some jobs shouldn't be paid a living wage, Well, not all of us were meant to be doctors, not all of us were meant to be lawyers or marketing people, you know, or even podcast interviewers. Some people are going to be picking our food. Some people are preparing our food. Some people are serving our food. And a lot of those people who are in the service industry are minorities, immigrants, and I see a lot of people not getting paid for overtime, pickers and farm workers getting paid by the bushel or the basket, still getting paid by the basket of fruit they pick. I just don't understand why people don't get it. If we bring everybody up in equity, then we can all have the American dream. Why why do we do this to each other? Why? Yeah, that's an easy one to answer, right, Casey? You know, I think why I am in the labor movement is because I've seen the difference that having a good union job does for not just families, but for everyday working people just like me. And I will say that when we allow ourselves to remain divided and when we allow ourselves to have um, assumptions 
or ideas about someone else based off of the color of their skin or the job that they do to support themselves and their family, ask ourselves who wins when we allow those divisions to persist? Who wins? Who benefits when we're divided, right? I know the answer to that. You know, corporations win, you know, the 1% wins. Folks that have power will remain in power when we perpetuate the status quo. So the more that we can have these conversations, and really that's what it's about, you know, what we hope to do is encourage people to have the conversation, see one another as human beings, and find that commonality. Because we know what it looks like when we remain divided. So Casey, you've used these terms a few times, equity, equitable. What does that mean exactly? Thanks for asking that, Harold. I think when I talk about equity, one of the easiest ways to think about it is contrasting it with another term that I think a lot of people are more familiar with, equality. Uh, especially thinking about the foundation of the United States of America, where you know every person is created equal. That is a wonderful vision, something that we're aspiring to. But I think here in 2021, we still see that that is not our reality. People are not treated equally. So the practice of equity is acknowledging that there is systemic racism, that there are forces within our institutions that keep certain groups of people more oppressed than others. Equity is about lifting those standards and undoing the systemic oppression so that we can all be equal, truly equal, and ultimately all be free. You just used another term, systemic oppression. And that brings to mind a term that's getting a lot of play right now on social media in some, let's say, right-wing media sources, critical race theory. It seems to be everybody's favorite punching bag right now. Can you explain what critical race theory is? Because if you ask a lot of these people, they don't seem to have a definition for what it is. In a nutshell, I will say it is the true history of race and the racialization of people here in the United States. It's uh, it's that simple. So when we illuminate the experience of Black people, of Indigenous people, of immigrant people here in the United States, that perhaps may be counter to what we have learned growing up in schools, that is critical race theory. You know, we're sharing a truth that may be very difficult to hear and also uh, taking a look in the mirror and looking into ourselves, into our organizations, into our unions, and figure out what we can do, not just as a person, but what we can do as a collective. That's the critical piece that I think that we must do and that we are doing here in Washington State. We have to dig in on the conversations. They're perhaps the toughest conversations that we will have in our lifetimes, but we must lean in now more than ever. I'm so glad we brought that topic up, Harold, because um, I grew up in Southern Oregon, which is a very white area. I grew up in a white neighborhood and I grew up in a white school district. Just even over the last two years, I have learned so much about American history, U.S. history, and it's not good. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't know about it. It means we learn from it. I've also learned that the labor movement was not always as open to what we are now. And that is a history that I'm not proud of. Can you explain to us maybe a little bit of how the history was in the past with labor and 
how we see us moving forward. Yeah, it will have to be the brief version, right? Uh, but <laughs> at the State Labor Council, you know, part of our work on race and the labor movement includes a narrative history of race and the labor movement posted on our website, authored by Bill Fletcher Jr. that folks can download and read on their own. I'll, I'll give a personal story. Uh, so my family is a family that is indigenous to these lands, but also I come from a family of immigrants. And my mother's mother immigrated here to Seattle from China during the period of the Chinese Exclusion Act. That was a piece of immigration law that we had here in the United States that excluded people of Chinese origin or folks from China based on their nationality. Um, since the Chinese Exclusion Act, we've seen that uh, similar policy applied to folks from countless, countless other countries and uh, is an example of the broken immigration system that we have here in the U.S. So my popo came here during that period and organized labor, not just here in Washington state, but across the U.S. was very, very much in support of the exclusion of Chinese people. So this is a piece that I think not just myself as a mixed Chinese American, but also as a union member, a union woman, uh, it is a part of our history. It's a part of my history. It's something very painful, but it is our truth. So Casey, I know we're coming to the end of our time, but you keep saying we're starting the conversation. We're going to continue the conversation. What's the end result of all these conversations? What's, what's the goal? Liberation, freedom, powerful working class solidarity, right? And I hope that we can understand that the act of having the conversation is radical unto itself. That is us taking action, right? We're learning about our history. We're unpacking that history and we're applying it to what we're dealing with right here, right now, today. What do you mean by a radical act? We're having the conversations people don't want us to have. I'll, I'll put it in terms for like the labor movement, right? When we're fighting every single day for wages, benefits, working conditions, we know that those are the things that the employer or the boss is trying to withhold from us. So if we understand that unity actually makes us stronger and that the employer or the boss or the powers that be are the ones that are holding this division amongst working people to use it against us, we need to come together. And that's radical organizing, right? And I think that's something that I hope those of us in the labor movement can see. I have a lot of these conversations with people that are doing similar work around equity in unions or in local CLCs. Far too often, the work of equity or the work of racial justice, social justice is sometimes unseen. And it's predominantly done, you know, by folks of color. Many, many people and frankly, union members have been talking about this for decades, for our entire lives, for generations. We need you to be talking about it too. You may not be a person of color. You may not be uh, Black. You may not be Indigenous. But the more that we can learn about this collective history and these collective struggles, that's what unity is going to look like. You keep talking about people in the labor movement and unions. What do you want people who might not be in unions yet, who might not be in the labor movement yet, to know about this really hard work? The organizer in me is going to say, uh, for anybody that doesn't have a union in their workplace or is wondering what the labor movement's about or what it means to be a union member, join us. 
join us in the conversation. Working people here in Washington state, you know, there's over half a million people that are union members that are affiliated with the Washington State Labor Council and all of the unions and CLCs, constituency groups and worker centers that we have. So we are the third largest in the country in terms of union density here in Washington state. The labor movement is a powerful force and that's something we should be incredibly proud of. Reach out to your local labor unions, reach out, you know, Southwest Washington Labor Council has an incredible committee. Southwest Washington works together that shares and hosts regular conversations, regular workshops on what are unions? How do we organize in our workplace? And how do we center conversations on racial justice, gender justice, social justice, and how that shows up in our unions? And I think the most important thing and something we know to be true in the labor movement is that no one of us is alone, right? When you're a part of a union, you always have someone to have your back, whether that's a conversation on standing up for yourself in your workplace because your boss is coming down too hot on you, or if you're being treated differently because of the color of their skin. I believe that we are a labor movement and I'm continuing to fight for that labor movement where we can make sure that we have each other's backs and that no one feels like they're alone in this world or in this fight. And I would like to put in a shameless plug, listeners, because the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council has made a commitment to host race and gender justice workshops consistently, hopefully about once a quarter. So go to our website, swwaclc.org. Anyone can participate in the education of race and gender justice. So keep an eye out for the next workshop. And you just might be able to meet Casey, who happens to be involved in these. And don't forget, Juneteenth is coming up every year. June 19th is an important day commemorating the emancipation and freedom of African-American people here in the United States. At the Washington State Labor Council, our Racial Justice Committee since last year has put on events to share the origins of Juneteenth and also lift up local events, celebrating it all across the state of Washington. So this year, we're going to be kicking off the week of Juneteenth with a celebration on Instagram Live with a conversation between our Secretary Treasurer, April Sims, Political and Strategic Campaigns Director, Sharifa Carter, and also one of our Racial Justice Committee members and Vice President of Ask Me Council 28, Andrea Vaughn. And so that's going to be on Instagram Live, which we're really excited about. And then we're also going to be sharing a calendar of local Juneteenth events happening all across the state. So no matter where you live, you can check out our calendar in the stands, both for in-person events happening on Juneteenth, which is Saturday this year, or virtually. We're going to look forward to seeing you at our next workshop. But for now, thank you so much for joining us, Casey Pereira, Director of Racial and Gender Justice at the Washington State Labor Council. Thank you, Harold. Thank you, Shannon. And thank you to everybody that is listening today. Uh, remember to join the conversation. I'm going to be sending some resources, so hopefully we can include those links as part of the podcast, because we really want to invite folks to be a part of the movement. Join us. And we're going to make sure to put those links in the show notes. Now stick with us, working people. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Joe Cadwell, host of Grit Northwest. You can find my show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast directory. Grit Northwest is now part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. 
where you can discover other union-specific shows to help you learn more about organized labor movements across the nation and around the world. It's one-stop shopping at its best. Just visit laborradionetwork.org. Once on the main page, click on a logo that interests you and a show description with hyperlinks will magically appear. How easy is that, right? So ditch the TV and grab those earbuds to hear the collective voices of workers from around the globe demanding fair treatment from their workplaces and elected officials. Join us at laborradionetwork.org. And until next time, this is Joe Cadwell reminding you to work safe, work smart, and stay union strong. Thanks for sticking with us, working people. June is also Pride Month when we celebrate our fellow working people who identify as LGBTQ+. To talk a little bit more about Pride Month, we have the national co-president of Pride at Work, Shalia Lautzis-Allen. Thanks so much for joining us, Shalia. Hey, Harold. Hey, Shannon. It's really great to be here. Shalia, I think there's a lot of people who might be listening to this who know that there's this thing called Pride, but what is Pride all about? Yeah, absolutely. So pride means a lot to different folks. Historically, it started with the Stonewall riots. Essentially, pride started from trans women of color who were actually fighting to stop police brutality because it was illegal for queer people to gather in bars. There were continuous raids at the Stonewall Inn in the 60s. And In that summer night in June 1969, folks fought back. They said, no more. Stop harassing us. Stop beating us up. We're not going to take this. For me, it's remembering what we've fought for throughout the last 50 years and still trying to make progress today and fight for equal rights today. But then at the same time, it's also about having fun being seen, being who you are, showing that we're all human beings, that we exist, to have a whole month dedicated to that, that we're people as well, that that means something. It's amazing that we can go to a pride parade and see all of this inclusiveness. And yet at the same time, we know we still have a lot to fight for. Well, I know that what struck me this month was a posting about Matthew Shepard. For the listeners that don't know Matthew Shepard, he was tragically murdered in Wyoming because he was an LGBTQ plus individual in the 90s and they hung him on a barbed wire fence. And I remember watching the news and thinking to myself, number one, I didn't think I knew any gay people in my high school. I grew up in Mm -hmm. Southern Oregon. But it also showed me the hatred that people had for others just because of who they love and how they identify. And I didn't understand that. Just a a little bit about Matthew Shepard. When I came out, I'm 37 now, so it's been over 20 years. I came out in high school. I also grew up in a very rural area of eastern Washington, out on the Palouse, south of Spokane, small farming town called Rockford, Washington. And... Um, It was actually very scary for me to come out. And I did because I grew up in this family that was like, you can do anything and be anything. But once I came out, that wasn't the reality. I learned very quickly that being part of a marginalized community, it's not um, always safe. There's constant harassment. I was actually thrown out of my house and realized very quickly that poverty 
is a real thing and it's very expensive to live. And then that discrimination transferred from my school and my home life into my workplace. And feeling that discrimination in my workplace is what got me involved in the labor movement. It was just to try to get healthcare for my partner. It was one of my friends that was a UPS driver and she was a teamster. And she said, Hey, we got healthcare and we did it through the union. So I started learning about unions. I'm like, Oh my God, we can do this through a union. And that was when I was uh, 19 years old and I never, never looked back. They always so. say that a union <laughs> contract is an equalizer. It yeah. is equality. You know, for you sure. get paid for your job and what you do, not based on who you are or who you know. So Pride Month is about education as well. It's celebrating who we are and educating our allies in the community about what we're fighting for and then continue to make the strides towards bettering our society, our workplaces. So educating and making strides. What is the labor movement doing to help that take place? Is this where the organization you're co-president of, Pride at Work, comes in? Yes. So Pride at Work, prideatwork.org. We are an organization of LGBT workers and allies that fights for equality on the job and also educating the LGBT community why it's so important to have a union on the job. And it hasn't always been easy. I mean, organizing is hard in itself, but even organizing within our own labor movement, LGBT rights wasn't always a priority, just like women's rights weren't always a priority. Civil rights, it wasn't always a priority. It's interesting that you bring that up because we just talked to Casey Pereira. She mentioned things like the Chinese Exclusion Act that the labor movement supported. Have we had similar situations with LGBTQ workers? You know, early in my organizing, I remember when I first came on staff, we were negotiating contracts. And this is a small example, but all I wanted was to have non-discrimination for sexual orientation in the contract. That just meant the world because it wasn't in most contracts. And time and time again, it was put to the side as just a non-issue. Like, oh, we'll get to that next time. We'll do that next time. And now, fast forward 17 years, that's something we wouldn't even think twice about. It's more like, of course, we need to update our non-discrimination language, right? Even management would agree with that. <laughs> it was also a very big deal to get at the time what was called domestic partner benefits. So if you had healthcare for your partner, it was a big deal because the pension plans were under the assumption that it was going to be too expensive. And that was consistently used as a reason why we couldn't do it. But once more people were standing up and organizing, the leaders of the labor movement at the time said, okay, these are our members. We have an obligation and a duty to represent our members. And sure enough, more and more contracts started getting domestic partner benefits and the pension plans didn't go over, then the health plans didn't go over their mark. You know, it's funny because we often take things for granted. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think people don't understand, or maybe they forget or take for granted, is that the labor movement brought us the 40-hour work week. 
that they brought us weekends. And maybe that language that was so tough to get in the beginning, it was worth fighting for. Just remember, folks, things that we have today didn't just automatically appear. People fought and bled for those rights and safety and contracts and language in contracts way before. So let's remember that. But the labor movement, the AFL-CIO, we've all come a long ways. And it's really amazing to see this movement that we're in right now, where you can literally see workers organizing, transforming in front of us. I think of a PRO Act and making it easier, right, to organize. So many young people want to organize a union if they could, if they didn't have all these barriers and the labor law that's stacked against them. It's very important for the most marginalized people and the most marginalized workers to be able to organize a union so you can fight for things like equal health care. I mean, I think about my transgender siblings who do not have equal health care. One, health care should be a right for everyone. It should be. But for folks in the LGBT community that don't have access to proper medication, to proper health care, based on their gender identity, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I think it's a call to action for everyone in the labor movement to make sure when we say healthcare coverage for everyone, we have to include everyone. Leaders in the labor movement don't even think twice about that. They may need um, some guidance how to get there, but an injury to one is an injury to all. That brings me to another point. The labor movement, we have always said that we work not only for our union members, but for all working people. And the Washington State Labor Council has things called constituency groups that have a seat on our board that help us direct where we are going. Doesn't Pride at Work actually have a seat on that board and a voice on the Labor Council? We do, yes. And I believe that's Mike Andrews who sits in that seat. And nationally, we have all the constituency groups meet once a month to talk about what is our platform at the AFL-CIO? We've really banded together because LGBT issues are not separate from other working class issues. We've evolved as a labor movement, as we're still evolving as a labor movement. Well, and I think that evolution is key. And it's not just the labor movement. Society in general has opened up a lot more. I read a statistic the other day that says 70% of Americans now support same-sex marriage. And the first time that question was asked in 1996, it was 25%. So obviously, things can evolve, but it doesn't happen on its own. It takes work, right? Exactly. It takes work. And many unions were not on board with standing up for same-sex marriage. It was doing the hard work of organizing one person at a time to explain why same-sex marriage is a worker's right issue, even if you didn't believe in it, right? Or even if it was against your religion, at the end of the day in the labor movement, we all believe that all workers should have access to a pension plan, should have access to equality in healthcare, fair wages. And so when we broke it down to those core issues, no matter what your religion was or what your beliefs were, it was like the light went off and said, okay, this is stuff we have to fight for because our members 
don't have access to 1,700 federal economic benefits that our straight members have. So it came down to an economics issue. We could leave religion out of it. This is a workers' rights issue. So, Shilia, you just talked about some of the benefits that LGBTQ plus people have gained over the years. And there is a segment of the population that look at those benefits as though they're special, something that other people don't have. You mentioned that you're representing a marginalized group, but there are people out there who would say LGBTQ people are not that marginalized when compared to other groups. How do you deal with that when you're talking to someone who has that attitude? It depends on the day for me. <laughs> no, um, I always try to meet folks where they're at and listen to where they're coming from. Because as an organizer, you have to meet folks where they're at and then move them one step ahead. For any person in the LGBT community, it was a process for themselves to come out. Usually some people are like, woo, I'm here, but it's usually a process. I don't expect every single person to understand the shoes that I walk in. You only can help them by having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes it's with your family members or it's very personal. And it's important to have support groups and networks because it is hard work. So speaking about difficult conversations, some people don't know much about pronouns. So let's let's break that down for our listeners. Yeah, so just a rule of thumb, I always never assume someone's sexual identity or orientation or their gender identity. Um, I ask what their name is, and then I usually refer to them by their name and try to keep it gender neutral until they describe themselves as I go by he or she or they or them. I know there's more pronouns and I'm still learning myself. But Shalia, why are pronouns important to people? It recognizes who they are as a person and how they identify. And it may be non-binary or it may be as male or female. You may be born as one sex, but present a completely different way, or you may be transitioning. And so it's very important to recognize someone as a human being that they are. So you used a word there, non-binary. And there have been a lot of words that have been passed around while we've been talking. Queer, gender identity, sexual orientation transgender, there's a lot of vocabulary. How do people who are trying to do the right thing, who are trying to give space to their fellow workers, navigate all of those different words, navigate all of that vocabulary? Well, I can say that this is one of the trainings that Pride at Work helps put on. So you can go to our website, prideatwork.org, and we have tools that you can look through or print off. Even if you're part of the community, the LGBT community, we're constantly learning. I'm learning a lot of things from folks that are younger than me. 10 years ago, I never referred to myself as queer. And now it's an umbrella term, right? Like I'm like, I'm part of the queer labor movement. I'm a queer woman. And I'm super excited about it. 
but at one time in history, that was a very negative term. And then it was reclaimed. And now we're part of the queer community. Shalia, I'm really glad that you said you're still learning, because I think that's one of the things that people struggle with. They think they understand, and then things change, and then they have to continually learn. Can you give them some advice as things are changing around them, as they're trying to navigate all this? Um, trying to think here. Don't be a dick is totally okay, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Well, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth. It just really isn't hard to be compassionate and learning and understanding. And at the same time, it's not up to one person in the queer community or one person in any marginalized community to speak for everyone, right? Also, people mess up. Like if you mess up, that's okay. But also don't be defensive, I think when folks go on the defensive and they're like, God, things are always changing. I don't know. Don't, it's just, it's, what What did you say, Harold? Don't be a dick. <laughs> well, I love that you brought up that people make mistakes because um, I am a white, straight woman. And I am sure that I probably say things wrong or I may say things or maybe not say things because I think I'm going to get them wrong. And then that stops the conversation. So I appreciate that you're letting me know that it's okay to talk to you about these things and it's okay for me to get things wrong. You know, we can have those conversations. So please, everybody have the conversations. Don't be scared to talk about it. And please don't get angry about it because we're all learning and we're all changing and we're all evolving together. I think it's important too to be intentional about creating a space for allies and the LGBT community to learn together. And I want to ask you, what do you see in your community? Because often I'm in my own queer bubble. <laughs> and so what do you see in the Vancouver labor movement and the Portland labor movement? Well, in Vancouver, we have not had a big presence of LGBTQ community and the Labor Council working together, but that has changed. And I'll tell you why, because we have two delegates on our Labor Council, Brian Belial of IATSE 28 and Jennifer Lanier from SAG-AFTRA, They are involved with Vancouver USA Pride. There is a virtual Vancouver USA Pride this year, July 10th, listeners. Don't forget, July 10th, mark your calendar. I know it's after Pride Month, but it's July 10th. So what we've done as a labor council, we have thrown down the gauntlet and we are trying to raise $5,000 for Vancouver USA Pride this year through the labor movement. And so far, we have raised $1,000, and we are getting very, very close. Nice. I love it. I think I can say that when it comes to the labor movement across the river in Portland, we have a lot of LGBTQ leaders, and we have a lot of LGBTQ rank and file who are very active in their unions, and they show up. They show up not only to their meetings, they also show up on a statewide level when the Oregon AFL-CIO calls. So they're there, they're present, they're shoulder to shoulder with their fellow working people. And I think that is what we want to see is everybody shoulder to shoulder, no matter what their ethnicity, 
what their orientation, what their sexual identity, right? Absolutely. We only win and succeed as a labor movement when we all rise together. So, Shilia, I know we've kept you for a long time. But before we go, you mentioned earlier that Pride is about celebrating who you are, but also recognizing that there's a long way to go. What are some of the struggles that we need to look at in the coming years? Thank you for asking that. So the first thing nationally is the Equality Act. Right now in 29 states, you can still discriminate in housing, in credit, in public accommodations. It's like a patchwork of states that have full protections for the LGBT community. So it is so important to have the Equality Act pass. Transgender healthcare, this is a huge issue. And I see so many of my transgender siblings that do not have access to healthcare and do not have access to jobs. And because of some of the barriers that the queer community has to break down, you find that housing can be hard to get. So there's a high percentage of LGBT homeless people that can come from not having access to a job and then being kicked out of their family's home. The LGBT homeless youth, it breaks my heart. So when I think of issues that we need to work on nationally, it's getting federal legislation passed, the Equality Act, homelessness, transgender health care, and our safety. Transgender women of color have such a high rate of violence. It's extremely high. And um, when we talk about Matthew Shepard, we have made great strides, but that is still happening. Transgender women of color are continuously killed and violently hurt because of how they present their economic situations. So the more that we educate and organize and pass legislation, the safer we all are. And God knows that's what all of us want is just to be safe and able to go to work, go home, have a family, and live our lives. That's why, for me, my place in this world is the labor movement. Oh, and June 24th, Pride at Work National is having an event that we have every year called Celebrating Solidarity. And we would love for you and your listeners to join us. Again, it's June 24th, 4 p.m. Pacific. It should be about an hour and a half and come celebrate Pride Month virtually with the AFL-CIO and Pride at Work and your fellow queer workers and allies across the country. Thank you so much, Shalia Lautzis-Allen, National Co-President of Pride at Work, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. And you know, Harold, the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council believes that all working people should be treated equitably and fairly in their workplace. And that is why this podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. That's how I know I can expect to be treated equitably and fairly, because it's right there in my union contract. Remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at swwaclc.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at swwaclc. 
And since it's Pride Month and everybody is singing and happy, don't forget to subscribe to the show and then pass it on to all of your friends, families, straight and queer. And while you're at it, give us five stars or paint the rainbow or whatever your podcast platform of choice gives you to let people know you like what we're doing here. One last thing, folks. Casey said something really important when she talked about who wins when we engage in division. It's usually not you. It's usually not the person that you're throwing stuff at, that you're insulting, that you're trying to shut out of things. It's not them. It's not you. It's usually the people in power, your boss, the corporation. So the next time you feel that impulse, the next time you feel like you should lash out, make a joke, think about whether that's doing you any good and think about who it is doing good for. And just remember, people are people. We're all human. We all live on this thing that we call planet Earth. So I find it a lot harder to be hateful and angry. Why don't we just let each other live and let each other go to work and let each other raise their family and not worry about who they love or what they identify as or the color of their skin. We're people. We all want the same things. We want to go to work. We want to pay our bills. We want to take care of our families. The sooner we make it easy for everybody to do that, the sooner we get closer to that lofty ideal that everyone is created equal. We'll see you soon. Bye.